to turn with me to two passages in in the scripture. First, to the book of the Psalms, Psalm 41. And I'd like to read verse number nine of Psalm 41. And then we'll be turning to the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 13. We'll begin our reading there at verse number 18. Psalm 41 and verse number nine, and then reading John 13, beginning at verse 18. Find both of those places, if you will. This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject that I simply call the man who gave Jesus his heel instead of his heart. The man who gave Jesus his heel instead of his heart. Psalm 41 is a messianic psalm, which is to say it deals with our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and it reveals some, some distinct things about his own life and experience, and especially in this verse 9, it reveals in a prophetic way that event of the betrayal of our Lord by one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot. At verse number nine, the verse reads, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did he eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And then if you will to John chapter 13, I read verse 18, where our Lord Jesus is very definite by reason of his statement that that psalm that we just read, the verse, has to do with his own life and especially his betrayal. At verse 18, the Savior said, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Then if you will skip down to verse 21 and we'll read through verse 30. The verses read in this fashion, When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, or amen, amen, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, receiving the sop, went out, went immediately out, and it was night. The call of the Lord to man from the very beginning has been a call 
which words I think express it well, found in Proverbs 23, verse 26. The call of God saying, my son, give me thine heart. Throughout the word of God, you'll find that God is searching and desiring and longing for the heart of man. The great commandment that our Lord reminded us of, uh, uh, reminded us of says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And yet you'll find in the word of God that though our God is sovereign and has all power, that he could with omnipotent force literally make man give him his heart. But yet God in his sovereignty has not chosen to force man into that kind of allegiance. But rather through the gentle wooing of love and compassion and sacrifice, our Lord endeavors to draw man's heart unto himself. And that when man comes to him, he comes because he has made a definite choice in his heart and soul to come to Christ, to love him, to honor him, and indeed to obey him. I believe that's what John had in mind in the epistle of 1 John when he wrote in chapter 4 and verse 10 saying, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And in that same chapter of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, John summed it up and he said, We love him because he first loved us. In other words, it is that now we love him because by his wooing of love and compassion for us, we have been drawn unto the blessed Savior. Throughout then every day's experiences in life, as well as throughout the teachings of the pages of the Word of God, there, there is evidence of that wooing of our Lord Jesus, wooing the heart of man, evidences of it is seen on every hand. Now then, before us in the scripture that we have read here in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, you'll find here that we're reminded of a man whom Jesus indeed made every effort to bring to himself and yet, in spite of all that our Lord had done in relation to Judas and for Judas, yet the scripture says that he instead of giving Christ his heart, lifted up his heel against him. In this very act of Judas, I think you'll find treachery at its very worst. Judas must have been a very perfect actor. He was a perfect hypocrite. For even Matthew said that when our Lord declared one would betray him out of the group of disciples, that all of the other disciples had rather suspect themselves than to suspect another. Lord, is it I, they were heard to say. Peter, the man whom we admire, yet cried, Lord, is it I. John, the beloved, Lord, is it I. Judas then must have been a perfect actor and indeed a perfect hypocrite. If other disciples, had, if these other disciples had indeed been fully aware of what Judas' plans were on that night, 
I dare say that Judas would not have left the room alive and gone about his dastardly deed and his act of treachery. No doubt the disciples would have cornered him, perhaps would have even succumbed to murdering and taking the life of this man if they fully knew what Judas was about to do. Yet he had the behavior Judas did, the behavior of a saint, but he had the conduct and the heart of a devil. He put on an act of love and loyalty, which indeed deceived all others. But it did not deceive our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet when you look at the story here in Matthew or John chapter 13, not only do you find treachery, but I think you'll find a very subtle but a very powerful warning. A warning that comes from our loving Lord. And that warning is simply this. By our outward actions, we may deceive those about us. But no man is able to deceive the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no hiding of anything of our lives from him. No hiding of any aspect of our being from the vision and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you just briefly this morning to look with me at a few of the means that our Lord employed. A few of the means that he used in order and an attempt to draw Judas unto himself. To gain his heart. But tragically as we've said, instead of gaining his heart, Judas gave him his heel. First of all, I believe that you'll find that our Lord attempted to draw Judas to himself by honoring him with a privilege that very, very few men ever had. Only 11 other men had this privilege. That is the privilege of following Christ as one of his own hand-picked disciples. He indeed was chosen a disciple. The Lord Jesus said, have I not chosen you, not 11, but have I not chosen you 12? Yet he said, one of you is a devil. Now the disciple, a disciple is basically a learner. And the Lord Jesus gave Judas, as well as the other disciples, one of the greatest opportunities that they'd ever have to learn of him. Paul had that great desire in his own heart when he said in Philippians 3 and verse 10 that I may know him. Paul wanted to gain more and more of this intimate knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. What a privilege Judas had. He had the privilege of hearing the Lord Jesus as he sat by the seashore and taught the men and women who had gathered there the marvelous mysteries and glories of the eternal God. He not only had the privilege of hearing him speak, but he, could, he saw with his own eyes the marvelous, majestic miracles that he performed. The giving of sight to the blind, the giving of strength to limbs that were weak and unable to move, even the raising of men from the dead. Yes, Judas indeed was a privileged man. He saw all of that. And yet again, I think how men today are privileged to see and witness even a greater miracle than that. Even the grossest kind of man, the, 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 the worst kind of sinner cannot help if he is an honest man, recognize the miracle work that our Lord does in the lives of those who are saved and whose lives are changed. The drunkard who's made sober, 
the harlot who is made a pure woman, a liar who is brought to a life of honesty. Ah, the miracle daily is performed around us and men see that. What privilege that is, what opportunity. Now I think again of the privileges we have today that are only employments of our Lord in an attempt to draw us unto himself. I think of the privilege of perhaps the godly parents you have. There are some children who are reared in homes, if I can say reared, and they're brought up with violence and abuse. There are children who are brought up in the presence of a drunken father, a drunken mother, or those who are addicted to drugs of some sort. And yet what privilege God has given you with a mother and father who honors God who knows the Lord, who speaks his name with reverence, who has heard to pray for you, what privilege that is. And yet I believe, my young person and young friend, it is God saying simply, give me your heart. But yet in spite of the godly and good parents and the care and the warmth, the love that they shed in your share and shed in your life, yet have you given Christ the heel instead of your heart? Do you give him the bottom of your foot instead of surrendering to him all that you are within your own heart and soul? I think of the privilege of possessions. I think of the privilege of the pleasantries of life and indeed the privilege of the place of our birth. We're so privileged in in this country of ours to be born in a country where indeed there is freedom. Where indeed, especially in this section of our country, known for years as the Bible Belt, where you can turn on a radio or a TV set or pass but a few miles from your home and there have the privilege of hearing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. Yet you see, you could have been born in some distant land, some land of darkened heathenism some land where your parents and you are brought up in the black magic and the black arts and Satan worship and the occult, brought up in some village where you bow before a wooden god or worship a god of the river or the god of the stars and the heavens above. Yet all of this privilege that God has given men and women in America daily, constantly, week after week, I see people giving Christ the heel instead of their hearts. Churches that are filled with men and women who have no, play, have no time for Christ in their hearts. He is only some kind of a name that they use in their conversation to drag in the dirt and use in some sense of vulgarity. Oh, what a privilege God then has given us here in this land of America. And yet, with all that he's given us, we fail to give him our heart and to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our might. God, help us to stop giving him the heel and give him our heart. I shared with our Sunday school class this morning the events in Europe, the events in Russia even today, the events in the country of Wales that I visited, you remember, last year. Now in those countries today there, who have been deprived of the privilege of the gospel, today they are, being, they are able to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus. While in Wales, the missionaries told me there why they said, Preacher, we could spend every day of our life, every day of our life, accepting invitations to the public schools in Wales where they want to hear the gospel, where they want to hear the truth of Christ, where you can even give a gospel invitation. 
And even in the schools in Russia today, children are able to now, thank God, to read the Bible. They're able to pray. They're able to hear the gospel even in the public schools. But here in America, what have we done? We've given Christ the heel. Where even in our schools, it is forbidden to speak, to read the word of God, to have prayer, or to talk of even moral principles and ethics. God help us in this country. Of all that he's blessed us with, yet we give him the heel. I shared with my sons who class this in closing, in the closing moments of two men who, from Florida, two men went up to Washington, visited the Capitol, and inside the rotunda, they bowed just over to the side, wanted to just give thanks to God in prayer for all the heritage of this country. And no sooner they said than we had knelt in a secluded spot aside from the busy traffic in that rotunda. Yet as we knelt down to give our thanks to God, a policeman approached us and said, Say, sirs, you cannot pray here. You can't pray here. We give our Lord the heel instead of the heart. God have mercy upon us. And yet that's exactly what Judas did. In spite of all the privilege that God's son gave him, yet he refused to give his heart. Not only that, but I think that he showed to him his desire for his heart in that he trusted him. Jesus put a trust in Judas as well as the other disciples. He was made the treasurer of that little group of disciples. Honored. A man who undoubtedly they respected for integrity. A man whom they respected as an honest man. They gave The Lord Jesus gave him indeed a place of trust. And that our Lord has done the same for us. He's trusted you these many years of your life with health. He's trusted you with perhaps talents, with abilities. He has trusted you with a mind that is able to reason and to be logical and to think. He has given you trust in that he has granted you a freedom. And yet in spite of the freedom that he's trusted us with, we have twisted that freedom and turned against him and given him the heel. Instead of the heart, Judas did the same. Yet as I look at this story, I see that our Lord bestowed upon him much special love. Special affection seems to have been shown to this man whom our Lord knew from the very beginning was his betrayer. Somebody said to me once, why did Jesus choose Judas if he knew he was a devil from the beginning? And I only, and I simply replied with a question, Why did he choose you, knowing who you were, knowing what you were, knowing all that you've done in your life and all that you'll ever be, yet why should he choose us? And yet I I see in this very expression of our Lord, though there are many questions left unanswered, yet we do know from Scripture that he chose this man, and in doing so, he bestowed upon him love. Again and again, Jesus appealed to that dark heart of Judas. And yet again and again, Judas remained unmoved. He seemed to be completely impervious to the movements of the love of Christ to draw him unto himself. Notice, if you will, in John 13, the seating arrangement at the table. I know that most of us have in our heads the picture of the Last Supper the Lord Jesus had a long table seated in straight back chairs, but that's not the way it was. The custom was that men reclined on couches. The table was perhaps more of a U-like shape. The host of that, uh, of that table would sit at the very center of the table. And all of the other disciples reclining uh, on the left side. 
And thus, as they reclined in the couch, some of them were double couches. And as they reclined uh, on their left arm or elbow, they, their right hand was free to eat. Sometimes I feel like laying down when I eat, don't you? As much as I eat, I have to lay down afterward. But nonetheless, that was the custom. But I'm pointing that out to you for this particular, for this particular reason. John, apparently, was on the right side of our Lord Jesus. For you see, when he laid down or rested on his left elbow, his head was back at the breast of our Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes we get a picture of Jesus and John just simply walking around with his head laying on his chest. That's not it. He was at the table leaning on his left elbow, the Lord Jesus behind him, and that's when he leaned back. His head was at the breast of our Lord Jesus. Indeed, John is spoken of as that disciple whom the Lord loved. But you see, the custom was the place on the left. The place on the left of the host was the place of highest honor. And that was the place that Judas undoubtedly was seated. For now as John would lay his head back and begun to question Jesus as he did, who is it, Lord? His head was back at the breast of Christ. But when Jesus was laying back and resting on his elbow, his left elbow, his head was back at the breast of this one on his left, who was another than the betrayer himself. That close was he at a place of honor, at a place whom the host would give to a very intimate friend. What a gesture of love our Lord has even in this. And no doubt, when, when the meal began, I, I, G, Jesus must have said to Judas, Judas, come and sit beside me. I want to specially talk to you tonight. Judas was given that place of special honor at the left of our Lord Jesus. Knowing his heart, Jesus knowing the heart of this man, yet showed him great love, showed him friendship, showed him concern. You see, the Lord Jesus knew all the while this man was his betrayer. He could have spoken that name and that truth in the early years of the ministry and made it very rough for Judas. But no, our Lord in patience was giving him opportunity after opportunity to learn indeed that Jesus was the Christ, that indeed he is the Savior of sinners, and that he would be his Savior if he would but give him his heart, if he would but just surrender to him and say yes to him. Yet there's more here. In showing Judas, this, giving him this place of honor, he, he expressed a great, friendship that he desired with Judas. You see, while Judas, the disciples, and Jesus was seated there, not only did Judas have the seat of honor to his left, but Jesus took a sop and he dipped it in the wine or the vinegar or the sauce, more than likely. And when he dipped it there, he handed it to Judas. And Judas, reaching out, took it. That was a gesture, number one, of friendship. It was a gesture that spoke of how much he honored him. In the book of Ruth, chapter 2 and verse 14, when Boaz wanted to show how much he honored Ruth, he invited her to dip her bread in his wine, or as the scripture says, his vinegar. 
In other words, it was a gesture that spoke of honor, that spoke of friendship. And Jesus in this very act was saying openly, I want to be your friend. And no one has a greater friend than one who would lay down his life. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Ah, he gave him the sop to say to him, I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. I want to be your savior. I want you to be one of my true disciples. In the Arab countries today, T.J. Lawrence especially tells that in visiting some of the Bedouin tribes in a tent, he was having a meal and the head of the tribe he was eating with and the head of the tribe in order to honor him and to show him a gesture of friendship stuck his hand over into the mutton, the, the, the lamb or the sheep that had been roasted and he pulled out a big hunk of nothing more than just fat and handed it over to T.J. Lawrence. And uh, Mr. Lawrence said, that's not especially an appealing appetite or uh, an appealing dish for a a Westerner's taste buds. But he said, uh, I took it and I I, I ate it in order to say, yes, I do accept your friendship and I want to be your friend. The Lord Jesus in that same sense is saying to Judas. Again, you'll find that Jesus refers to Judas as his friend. When in that dark night and the soldiers came to arrest the Son of God, Judas led them to that sacred spot. And when Jesus saw Judas in the front of those soldiers coming toward him, and Judas walking out, planted the kiss on the cheek of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus said, remember, friend, why have you come? I've always felt that in that one word friend, Our Lord was making that last attempt. Love was making again its last appeal to a man who never again would have opportunity to repent of his sin and to give his heart to Jesus Christ. But even in that final hour when Jesus called him his friend, Judas, instead of giving Christ his heart, gave him his heel and said no to him and followed through with his tragic betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. John closes the account. There are many things we could talk about, but the closing of this account in verse number 30 is very striking. John has a unique word way with words, and he says it in the 30th verse. He then, having received the sop, went out immediately. What's this? And... It was night. What a way with words. It was night, yes, not just an earthly night, but it's the beginning of an eternal night of darkness for Judas. Always, it is always night. When a man goes out from Christ and refuses to follow his purposes and his plan for his own life, It's always night when a man turns his back on Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, to submit to Christ is to walk in the light. To reject him is to walk in the dark. Lost men forever in the stygian darkness of eternal hell. Forever lost, darkened soul that is there because instead of giving Christ the heart, gave him the heel. Instead of saying yes to him, 
They said, no. Our Lord woos you today with, with cords of love. He seeks that you come to him. He has no desire, no will that any man perish, but rather that all should come repentance. When in the Old Testament, the old prophets gave the most scathing warnings and pronouncements of judgment, it was always with the intent that they will repent. Maybe they will turn. Maybe they will hear. And God in love is saying, Give me thine heart, son, daughter. Give me your heart. Don't give him your heel. Give your life to him. Give your soul to him. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to forgive you, and he'll do it. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. The picture is a very simple one, but I hope one that you will be able to remember. This week, as he asked, even in your life as a child of God, obedience to him, faithfulness to him, love for him, are you going to give him your heart or your heel? when he expects you to be faithful to the house of God, to the Sunday services, to the Wednesday services, to the activities of the, of the church, do you give him your heart or you give him your heel? When he asks for that share of the possessions that he's entrusted you with, do you give him your heart or you give him the heel? Mine own familiar friend, he said, with whom I have eaten bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. If it's been that in your life, won't you change that and give him your heart today? God help you to do it. Let's stand together with our heads bowed as we continue bowed and join with me in prayer.